Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer web radio show brought to you by Call Box Feeds. My name is Andy Schneider, but most know me as the Chicken Whisperer, author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, national spokesperson for the USDA Biosecurity for Birds program, and editor-in-chief of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Each week, I welcome experts in their field to share their knowledge about different topics, including backyard poultry, show poultry, heritage poultry, gardening, cooking, homesteading, and living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Be sure to visit us online at chickenwhisperer.com, where you can follow us on Twitter, become a fan on Facebook, and subscribe to the totally free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Once again, I would like to thank all of you for tuning in to Backyard Poultry, with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds. At Kalmbach Feeds, our layer pellets and crumbles are all natural, antibiotic-free, with no animal byproducts. Formulated just for laying hens, our feed is fortified with essential amino acids and calcium to ensure maximum production of nutritious, tasty, strong-shelled eggs. From our family to yours, feed your hens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome, goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Find a dealer at ComboxFeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H, Feeds.com. Or order your layer pellets and crumples today on Amazon.com. Combox Feeds is a proud sponsor of The Chicken Whisperer. I'm about to say something that may shock you. There's a chance the mealworm treats you're feeding your chickens are doing them more harm than good. Most of the mealworms sold in the U.S. are hollow and empty because of how they're processed leaving them with little or no nutritional value. The problem is chickens love healthy insects like mealworms, but there hasn't been a way to get access to them in large quantities. Until now. The only mealworm company I endorse is The Honest Worm because of the way they raise and process their mealworms. Now they've set aside some bags only for my listeners to try for free. Just cover the cost of shipping and handling. Head on over to freemealworms.com. That's freemealworms.com. If you don't see sold out at the top of the page, that means there's still some bags left, but only for a limited time. Go to freemealworms.com and get your free bag today. PDZ has been keeping horse stalls ammonia-free and healthy for nearly 33 years. However, ammonia is ammonia, regardless of the species producing it. Therefore, it will do the same great job in your chicken coops and brooders. 
Sweet PDZ safeguards flock health by neutralizing and eliminating harmful levels of ammonia and odors. Safe and effective moisture absorption. All natural, non-toxic, premium grade zeolite mineral. Contains no masking scents or chemical perfumes. Safe and beneficial to dispose with waste on compost and gardens. Learn more at SweetPDZ.com. That's SweetPDZ.com. Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Stromberg's family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for both the beginner and experienced poultry keeper. Stromberg's should be on the top of your list when it's time to order your new day-old baby chicks and poultry supplies. Order online today at StrombergsChickens.com. That's StrombergsChickens.com. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. If you're in the market for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFRadio.com. That's GQFRadio.com. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky, you'll know it's Super Chicken. Alrighty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds. I apologize for the uh, stuffiness. Uh, I apparently have caught my daughter's cold, and so uh, it, it started to rear its ugly head yesterday afternoon, and so not much of a uh, good rest or sleep overnight, and then today it's just kind of compounded itself. So, But the show must go on, especially when we have a very important very popular and really on the blogs and forums out there kind of a misunderstood uh, topic today and that's internal parasites and and worms and there's just a ton out of all the topics we talk about out there and try to uh, correct and and get the right information out there this has got to be in the top three Um, and a lot of times you see this in the fall uh, you'll see folks say, ooh, well, it's, it's going to be fall. My chickens are going to go through a molt, so I'm going to worm them when they're molting because they're probably not going to be laying much during the molt anyway, and I know it'll be an egg, with, egg withdrawal time, so I think I'll go ahead and worm them in the fall since I can't eat the eggs anyway, and they won't be laying as much. So we talk about that. Um, people post that all the time. And then we see things like, well, I... Um, I uh, Worm my chickens twice a year as a preventative. Um, I, I, I worm my chickens every fall as a preventative. And I'm not sure if that definition of preventative means what they think it means. Because if you've got a waterer and you've got chickens and you don't know if they have worms or not, but you're just going to put some wormer uh, and medication into their waterer and deliver it that way and have them drink it, then, and, then if they have worm, what do you do? You're deworming them. You're not preventing anything. As soon as they're done with this treatment and they go back outside and free range and roam in the grass and eat bugs and, and, and worms and, and uh, dirt, heck, and all that, you know, crickets, 
Well, guess what? You're not preventing them from getting worms again a month from now by deworming them today. So, so I, I, I like to call, I guess, call folks out on that when they say, "Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna um, worm my chickens this fall as a preventative," or "I deworm my chickens twice a year as a preventative." Um, you're not preventing um, anything; you're deworming them. So, so we we talk about that. That's used all the time uh, out there. We've also discussed till we're blue in the face uh, about any type of uh, quackery, home remedies, things like that, like the pumpkin seeds uh, as being a dewormer. That's in the Factor Chicken Poop book, which our guest today was was a big uh, contributor to that book. We've talked about it on, on this podcast. We, we've talked about it out at our events, and there is just no studies out there that show uh, at the end of the day that pumpkin seeds are an all-natural dewormer for chickens. Um, and, and we've gone through this, but since we may have new listeners to the show today, you know, what, what do I need um, uh, for you to be able to say on that chicken blogger forum, pumpkin seeds are an all-natural dewormer for chickens. Uh, it happens a lot. People will say that. I'll question them in that forum. Well, do you have any proof that, that to back that up? Well, I give my chickens pumpkin seeds and they don't have worms. And I'll follow up and say, well, have you ever had them tested for worms? Well, no, I haven't. Then how do you know they actually don't have worms? And then I had one lady one time. Uh, I guess she thought she had, uh, I got the chicken whisperer this time. Uh, uh, pumpkin seeds are an all-natural dewormer. Oh, really? Do you have any proof to back that statement up? Uh, well, I give my chickens pumpkin seeds and they don't have worms. And then I asked, well, have you ever had them tested to prove that they don't have worms? Why, yes, I have my flock tested and they don't have worms. And then I follow up with, uh, oh, so at one time they did have worms. And then she says, no, my chickens have never, ever had worms. And then I said, well, then you obviously cannot use the, the, the statement that pumpkin seeds are an all-natural dewormer for chickens uh, because first you have to start with chickens that actually have worms. And we hope you do a fecal flotation to determine uh, they have worms, what type of worms, because not all meds treat all types of worms. Um, and, and so first we need a study that proves they have worms. And then uh, at a minimum, uh, I need to know um, uh, what a variety of pumpkin you use, because some, if, it, if there's some possibility that it works, all variety of pumpkin seeds may not work. So what variety of pumpkin seeds did you actually give um, your, your chickens? And then I needed to know the dose. You know, what, how many did you give? Did you give them, you know, one cup of pumpkin seeds? Did you give them nine whole pumpkins? Uh, dose is very important. I need to know how long you gave that dose of, of pumpkin seeds. Did you just give it one time on Tuesday morning, or did you give one cup of pumpkin seeds to your chickens every day for two weeks to, to determine your, your comment? And then I need to know how you made sure that every chicken in your flock got the same dose that you claim that is actually working for them. Um, and, and then at the end, at, at a minimum, we need a test that shows they no longer have worms. Until you have that, folks, so you can't really go out and blog land and, and forums and say pumpkin seeds are an all-natural dewormer for chickens. And, and it's tough because when we address this, just like I just addressed it, well, then you're called arrogant and a know-it-all and you don't know what you're talking about. And you know, I, I know my chickens don't have worms so they never had them tested. So, so it's almost a, a losing battle or an uphill battle when you post things and just try to follow up. Say, you know, please, if you have proof, let me know so we can wave it from the rooftops. I'll be the first one to do that. Uh, but until you have that, nobody can claim that. So, so we've, we've, again, we've talked about this till we're blue in the face. But also next week we've got Lisa Tell, Dr. Lisa Tell from UC Davis coming on, and, and a colleague of hers, and, and um, 
uh, director with uh, Farid, and we're going to be talking about Wazine, and, and people claim, oh, it's a two-week. Uh, somebody even said it's a 17-day <laughs> uh, withdrawal because it's called Wazine 17, I think, and 17 has nothing to do with the withdrawal period. And then they said, oh, well, my vet said that um, – uh, the egg withdrawal period is 17 days. So the egg withdrawal period is 17 days. We're going to ask Dr. Pateski this, but also we're going to ask Dr. Tell this with, with Farid because if you look at the back of the label, it says not for use with layers that produce eggs for human consumption, uh, meat birds only. And um, But uh, my understanding is if you use it for, for layers, it would be considered an off-label use, and then it has to be directed by a veterinarian. And yes, that veterinarian, and Dr. Uh, Pateski is a vet, so He'll, he'll straighten me out if, if we misunderstand this. That veterinarian can offer a egg withdrawal period, uh, but it's still not an official egg withdrawal period for that product. It's just um, based on all of his knowledge, all of his experience, he might feel like he can suggest that, that you'll probably be okay after 17 days if you don't eat the eggs. But it's still not an official egg withdrawal period for that product. That's my understanding. Uh, that's why we have the experts on, so we can get right down to the dirt, right down to the um, And that's why we got Lisa Tell and her colleague coming on next next week to talk about dosing, to talk about wazine, to talk about off-label use drugs and what, what that really requires. We're also, uh, there's rumors going around that Thailand 50 uh, is toxic to chickens. And oh, my Lord, how many times over the years have we seen, oh, yeah, I give Thailand 50, I give one cc in the breast muscle, you know, once a day or twice a day or whatever it is. They're touting all, these, all this information. And then now that they've actually stopped the sale of water, soluble antibiotics in the stores without a veterinary uh, prescription, um, now they're buying Thailand and putting it in the water. Uh, so th th we're going to be talking all about that next Thursday, folks, because there's just uh, bad information is running rampant out there. And um, we, at the end of the day, we want to make sure you have the right information. So today we're talking about internal parasites and worms. Obviously, we'll probably start off, because Dr. Podesky has been coming on the show a long time. I know we're probably going to start off talking about biosecurity. What can we do to prevent this to begin with, or try to limit the issue of internal parasites and worms to begin with? Biosecurity, of course, would be huge. Then we're going to get into maybe the seven different types types. Uh, last number, if I recall, we've talked about this, maybe seven different types of internal parasites your chickens may have. And then, and then maybe we can talk about some treatments. Um, and then if he has any suggestions, oh, you know what, I just saw a study last week that, um, I don't know, smashing up green bananas and giving to them with garlic and uh, applesauce all of a sudden has shown some, some benefit. Uh, if, if he has any of that information, that we, we would welcome that as well because someone earlier. If we have a chance, we're going to take some calls today. Uh, I'll be watching the switchboard. Um, I did that on my Facebook Live right before the show, 347-637-3237 is the number to call in. 347-637-3237. Um, and then when you call in, press 1 to speak with the host, and then uh, we'll try to bring you all on when we get to that segment. Um, but feel free to listen live. And, um, hey, you're like, you know what, I have a horrible radio voice. I'm a little nervous. I'm a little shy. You can post the questions that you want over under, under on my Facebook page, either under the Facebook Live we just did or under the post we did uh, advertising this show. So you can, uh, and then I can try to read those questions live while we have um, Dr. Pateski on the show. So without further ado, I'm heading right over the phone lines to the switchboard, and we're going to bring our good friend Dr. Pateski on live today, and we're going to learn a little bit about internal parasites and, and worming, or deworming, or 
that type of thing that, that we often see uh, out there in uh, blogs and forums. Dr. Potesky, thank you so much for joining us and being willing to come on the show with your uh, lots of experience, expertise, and just clearing a lot of this up for us, making it as simple as possible for us to understand, and at the end of the day, what we really need to be concerned with uh, about these, because it's always a huge topic out there in the backyard poultry uh, hobby, I guess you might want to call it. Yeah, well, thanks for having me again, Andy. Um, you know me well. Sure. So be- before, though, I talk about biosecurity, I, I am going to commiserate <laughs> with you because I've also got a sniffle, and I'm I'm blaming my kids on that too. So they, their immune systems, I think, are better than my immune system because they, they had it like a day, and now I'm like at three or four or five days now. So unfortunately, they're like little Petri dishes at this age, and we just get exposed to God knows what uh, bacteria and viruses and other things. So that's exactly I will commit right. my radio voice is probably not going to be the best either now with sniffles every every few minutes. I um, saw something yesterday that said, hey, it is cold season now. So everybody was, I think it was somebody advertising some type of medicine. But, um, yeah, I guess it's just the good old summer cold, I guess we call it. Yep, yep. No, I, I, I think I'm in the middle of that right now. Um, but I did want to talk uh, before. First of all, I'm, I'm great. I'm really um, glad that you're going to have Dr. Tell on next week because um, she's a great resource, um, especially with her knowledge of FARAD, the Food Animal Residue, Residue Avoidance Databank. And if people have a chance to, to Google FARAD and to go onto the website, there is a. It's been uh, kind of. Re- they're in the middle of reorganizing it, and it's really, really well organized. Especially uh, now they have a um, an area that's specific to backyard poultry. Um, So I think that's a really um, great addition. Um, And you can still look at kind of commercial poultry um, and look at their recommendations. It's really challenging for for outsiders, um, and I consider myself when it comes to FARAD-type questions an outsider. So having someone like Dr. Tell um, who can hopefully help you navigate, you know, I think a lot of the challenging logistics. And I think for a lot of small animal veterinarians, uh, it's it's also challenging, and also for um, you know people that just are trying to figure out what to do with their with their birds. Um, the one thing I will say, and and I, I do want to talk about biosecurity because that's again when it comes to poultry, that is, you know, the number one, number two, and number three thing that we really need to think about um, when we're thinking about diseases. And it, it's just it's such low hanging fruit, um, and it's a great way for us to avoid diseases as opposed to having to react to um, a disease, which happens even under the best of circumstances. Um, but I did want to point out that that you know I, I do get people periodically asking me like, well, should I treat um, my birds um, as a kind of preventative measure, um, as a dewormer. And in general, I'm against that uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, as you mentioned, there is no magical dewormer for all the different worms that are floating around in chickens. Uh, obviously, some are more common than others, so roundworms are, are very common, for example. Um, but I would say that, that there are resistance issues. So if you keep on using... Um, any kind of uh, antimicrobial, um, like uh, wazine or fenbendazole or whatever it be, um, uh, you do eventually run the risk of having some resistance issues. So then when you need it, um, it it might not be as effective. Um, So I'm not really a a big fan of of just kind of, um, you know, once or twice a year uh, treating. The other thing I'll say is, is, you know, if if poop um, is coming out of – the cloaca, and there's no worms there, and your birds are, are healthy and thriving, I, I don't see a reason why you wouldn't want to treat them. Um, so mm-hmm. 
again, I just don't see the value in doing it unless you actually need to do it. Um, and then if you need to do it, then that's what those drugs are there for, potentially. Um, the drugs, and, and Dr. Tell will explain this in a lot more detail than I will, but the drugs are challenging in the sense that there are different withdrawal periods for the same drug from different countries. Um, and, and it gets really, I think, um, challenging for poultry. So, you know, the one example <clears throat> example that I, I'm aware of is, is fenbendazole, um, which is uh, very effective against uh, ascarids, for example, um, like roundworms, excuse me. Um, so the one thing I would say about uh, fenbendazole is like when you look at some countries, I think like in England, there is zero day withdrawal period. And then when you look at Farad's recommendation, there's a 17 day withdrawal period. Um, and, and I think Farad, to their credit, um, but I think some people get frustrated by it because, you know, they want, you know, I think it's kind of human nature. We want to give some medicine. Um, Farad is always going to err on the side of being conservative uh, based upon the literature. So the literature doesn't suggest that, you know, you, you, you have a withdrawal period. They're, they're, they're going to give you sometimes, in some cases, they're going to say, look, we don't, we don't have any recommendations on this drug because we just don't know enough about um, how that drug is digested and where um, any of the, um, you know, uh, metabolites of that drug end up. So um, to their credit, I think it's really important to be somewhat conservative, but I think that frustrates some people, um, including some veterinarians sometimes. Based on that, that that scenario right there, well, you know, because someone will throw that out, you know, oh, well, why in Canada there's no egg withdrawal period, but down here there is, um, and then it's just for meat birds, da 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 da, da. But, the, but would you say, because I've kind of used this, maybe it's the, the wrong um, attitude, but it's like um, when I talk to people, uh, off the air or something when we're talking about Wazine. I'm like, look, you know, where I think you can get in trouble is if you're selling, giving away uh, your, your eggs. I mean, if you want to worm your own chickens in your own backyard with whatever the heck you want to worm with, and the only person who's eating them is you, well, it's all on you. But but I think that the, the issue is is if you're giving them away or selling them, that's when more liability comes in and risk that if they have a, a reaction to it, there is some of that lingering medication. And even though people say all the time, well, piperzine, that's uh, people, you, you know, doctors prescribe that for their son when he had worms that it's human, but they, you still just like antibiotics. Someone may have a, a very bad reaction to that, um, just like even though antibiotics is used in humans. So that, that, a lot of times I tell folks that. I'm like, look, you, <laughs> if it's just you eating the eggs, you decide what you want to do because it's on you. But when you talk about giving away and selling, it's a whole other ball game, and that's when you might want to pay a little bit closer attention to uh, some of, of what uh, Farad and, and, and the bottle said as far as that withdrawal. Yep, no, I, I, I completely agree. I think I think the thing that we have to kind of consider also is that if we don't know what the withdrawal period and we're keeping these animals for long periods of time, uh, what happens if the bird escapes and uh, someone else decides to use it as food? Um, what happens if there's miscommunication? If you treat one bird and you're not treating the rest of your flock, how do you keep that egg um, out of your food supply? Um, these are, you know, kind of challenging things to do. Um, to your point, obviously, you know, if it's it's your own birds, no one's gonna uh, no one's gonna police you. Um, you know, I would say, like another example, just going to antibiotics is uh, Batril or Enrofloxacin. You cannot use um, that antibiotic in food animals, and I've in, in in poultry, excuse me. And I've had people tell me, well, our chickens, you know, aren't producing that many eggs anymore, and we're just keeping them as a pet, and they're never going to. Um, yeah. 
they're never going to, you know, cause any any they're, they're not going into any kind of food system, whatever it be. And obviously that's their own decision, and, and they'll probably be fine as far as you know the chicken police are not going to come by their their homes or anything like that. Um, <laughs> but but I hope at least people appreciate the the, the decision making and the logic of the decision making. Um, in that we don't want to use um, some of these drugs that are um, used in human medicine because of the issues associated with resistance. So if we create resistance in food animals and those resistant bacteria end up in our food supply, um, now we're running into issues and, and um, you know, developing new antibiotics. As we all know, these are multi-billion dollar, you know, decade-long type of um, processes. So I think we, we, we need to kind of work on the other end to, to make sure that these antibiotics are effective as long as possible. But it, it's a challenging, I, I know people, especially with these birds, they're, they're pets also. Um, they treat them like their dogs and their cats and their horses, and, and sure. we, we go all out for our dogs and cats and horses. And, and chickens are, are kind of in this no man's land as far as that kind of issue goes. And, um, you know, I think to Farad's credit, they're really trying to, to protect our, our food supply. And, and on the backyard side, it gets it gets tricky. It is kind of a square peg in a round hole at, at a certain level. Um, yeah, so uh, you, you mentioned one thing that I already kind of wanted to address for our listeners, and that is, um, in your opinion as an epidemiologist and you know, veterinarian, um, it, it sounds like you're just not a big fan of just – I'm going to worm every fall as a preventative. We hear that all the time. I, I worm twice a year as a preventative, and um, at that point, it's kind of you know if you're if you're a, if you sit on that five gallon bucket, which we always suggest uh, on a regular basis, and observe your birds, and you're and you're a poop inspector, and you just don't see any signs of any internal parasites, no worms coming out, no eggs coming out. Um, then you know you're you're probably good to go. It's not saying that if you don't see them, they don't have them. I think we should stress that as well because so many people say, uh, well, I don't see anything, so my birds are healthy, and they don't have worms. Um, and I think that's not the case. You wrote an article uh, a few years ago, which was great um, about you know the chicken dealing with a a smaller load versus you know where if you see them and in, in the poop and you see them in the eggs, they probably have a large load of worms, and that needs to be addressed with you know very soon, if not immediately. But um, I, I did want to kind of, because that was one of the things I wanted to talk about today, probably just, you're just not recommending just warming a couple times a year as a preventative, but, and, then, and then looking, and if you don't, don't see anything, it doesn't necessarily mean they don't have worms. They just may have a manageable load they're managing with. And then uh, the third one was, uh, what was it? Um, if we see them, then, yeah, we need to treat them. Yeah, so that's a that's a really good um, kind of subtlety there. So um, if, if if the most important thing is, is how is your bird doing, the, cl- the clinical signs are, are probably the most important to kind of pay attention to. And, and most internal parasites, they've evolved, co-evolved with, you know, their host. So the last thing um, that internal parasites want to do is kill their host. Um, they just want to kind of parasitize it and, and make it, um, you know, kind of use it for food. But the last thing they want to do is kill it. So most parasites um, will not kill um, their hosts. They'll just kind of weaken them. Um, so to your point, m- many like roundworms, for example, which are exceedingly common on birds that are raised on the floor for reasons that we'll talk about in a couple of minutes, um, those those type of um, birds will have a worm burden, will have a parasite burden. They'll have some that are in their gut. 
Um, but if we're not seeing any clinical signs, so the only time I would uh -huh. actually notice that is if I opened up that bird, if I um, euthanized it and did a necropsy, you know, fancy uh, veterinary term for autopsy, sure. and I opened it up and I looked at the gut and I saw some roundworms, even if that situation happened, would I treat the rest of the flock? If the rest of the flock looked good, then I would say, no, I'm not going to treat it. Unless mm -hmm. I saw some clinical signs that were saying, you know what, there's enough roundworms here where, you know, maybe we're going to deal with an impaction at some point, and that could be an issue. Or if I was looking at the rest of the flock, and I'm like, you know what, this flock just doesn't look that good. They look a little sick. There's some diarrhea going on. Um, they look a little skinnier because, you know, they're, they're parasites, so they get emaciated more. The birds look a little droopy, you know, et cetera, et cetera. If I saw that, then I'd be like, you know what, let's, let's treat them at that point. So I'm, I'm not opposed to treating, but the only time I want to treat is when there's something to treat, when there's actually a clinical sign. If there's just worms, gotcha. I open up a bird on necropsy and I just see the worms, then I'm going to shrug my shoulders a little. That's pretty normal. If you're raising birds on dirt, you're going to see worms because they're going to they're eating off the ground. There are the um, the eggs are there. There are other um, insects that are there, and obviously the birds are consuming all that stuff off the ground, and that's how they get the worms. When you raise birds, one of the advantages of you know there's advantages and disadvantages to every system, but one of the advantages to raising birds off the ground on in cages, for example, is that the worm burdens are typically very low um, because they're not getting exposed to to for the most part, to fecal material where um, those mm -hmm. eggs persist. Um, so what I would say in general is, you know, kind of to that point, just to kind of summarize that, mm -hmm. um, very rarely do you have high amounts of mortality, um, but you can have heavy parasitic loads, um, and you can have co-infections. So, so birds, typically if they have, you know, E. coli, E. coli is not going to kill them, um, but if they have E. coli and a roundworm infection, or if they have E. coli and infectious bronchitis and a roundworm infection, that, that, it's that combination of things which usually will kind of like, by the second or third thing, they're like, okay, this is, this is getting a little hard for, for them to respond to. Um, so the, just by finding, you know, earthworms, for example, or just by finding, excuse me, like a worm burden um, inside a bird, again, it's, it's not really a huge issue until you actually see some, some clinical signs. Um, so, again, most people in backyard and pastured and free-range environments are typically raising their birds, obviously, on the ground. And, and, and one of the challenges of that kind of production um, is that they are likely to have a, a higher exposure to, to worms. Um, so they um, can get, they can ingest the eggs um, from many of these different types of, like, roundworms and capillary worms and sequel worms. Um, but they can um, also ingest the, um, they can directly ingest the, the embryonated eggs, um, which are infectious also. So that does happen. Um, and, and how do we prevent that? And that's where we kind of go to this kind of biosecurity approach again um, and, and good management and good husbandry. Um, so the things that, that I always kind of like, you know, try to focus on are keeping things clean. Um, this is where we need to kind of be fastidious and uh, lack of cleanliness is, is really probably one of the most common causes of poultry disease. Um, so things that we really want to do, especially for, for baby chicks, is making sure that we're uh, daily, we're cleaning our waters and we're keeping the litter dry and clean. So if we have moisture in our litter, um, that allows a lot of these eggs um, to persist in the environment, and that allows them to be infectious when they're ingested by our chickens. Um, so it's really important um, to keep our litter uh, material uh, what we call friable. So that's a fancy way of saying we don't want it to be muddy. 
Uh, we also don't want it to be dusty because that's not good for their lungs or our lungs. So there's that middle ground there um, that we gonna want to try to optimize. And if we have waters that are leaking, if it's the winter time and water is getting inside from the outside, um, that can create conditions where a lot of these type of um, parasites um, can persist um, and then become infectious and, and, and cause you know a high worm burden. Um, so the other thing that's really important is to control flies. So we talk about you know earthworms and we talk about all the other um, type of insects that are on the ground, but fly control is also really important because they have uh, high amounts of uh, of eggs that they can they can carry, um, and that can also be um, an issue too. Um, the other thing is you know again going back to just the big picture biosecurity. So when you go to your neighbor's flock um, and you're wearing the same shoes and then you come to excuse me you come to your flock. Um, it's really important to make sure that you're not taking uh, worm eggs from one facility and accidentally um, bringing them back to your to your backyard. Um, so those are, are some of the kind of basic things that we always want to kind of think about. There's nothing you know kind of rocket sciencey about that, um, but it is you know essential for us to kind of um, consider um, you know that basic low-hanging fruit uh, before we get kind of fancy with some of the uh, treatments that, that are out there um, with the fendendazoles and the piperazines and the wazines and things like that. So what I wanted to talk about are kind of in probably decreasing order, what are the most common worms that we're typically uh, dealing with, uh, what do they look like, um, and um, how do we potentially uh, treat them if we needed to consider treat the, treating them. Um, so the first one I want to talk about are roundworms. So roundworms are, are, are pretty ubiquitous in backyard pasture, free-range type of uh, production. And typically what you'll see is these long yellow-white worms. Um, they can be a couple inches long, so, so when owners do see them, um, it is definitely um, something that I understand why owners are like, hey, we need to do something. Um, they are associated with kind of this droopiness, like the birds are uh, kind of looking weaker, uh, weight loss, uh, diarrhea, uh, decreased egg production. Um, those are, are kind of the common, uh, some of the common clinical signs that you'll see. Again, it, it doesn't become like a huge problem unless we're dealing with a huge uh, worm burden. Um, but it, it does, you know, kind of, I think, um, it is a little off-putting when, when people do see, um, you know, those, those long worms. And when you see that, it's certainly not inappropriate to treat, but the idea of treating if you don't see that, I, I think would be, um, in my, from my perspective, would not be um, a proper use of, of those drugs. Um, so um, you can get in a high burden, um, you can get these, these ascarids or these, these roundworms, they can uh, literally clog up the intestine, um, especially when you have co-infections. So this is again that you know, when, when, when um, I think when, when people are saying, well, they've got, um, you know, E. coli infection or, or whatever it be, usually the, the, it's usually multiple things that are starting to cause disease. Now, here's where it gets a little difficult. So if you do see roundworms, which are somewhat common, um, obviously, you know, beforehand and after um, you identify that, you want to focus on preventing it from, from your flock. So the moisture issue is really important. Um, the keeping things in your in your coop clean is really important. So you remember, if, if I wanted to, you know, if I wanted to be an evil genius and I wanted to get uh, birds sick, I would. Uh, the easiest way to get birds sick is to is to put um, any kind of infectious material in their water or food. 
So how does that happen in our backyard chickens? Well, our waters don't get cleaned and the birds are perching on them. Um, our feeders are, you know, birds are perching on the feeders and there's poop in there. Uh, the other way is, you know, and, and this is just the nature of backyard poultry, we have mixed age flocks. Um, so almost every backyard flock has this. So older birds are always um, going to be a little more likely to carry diseases than younger birds. Um, so when we expose our younger birds to our older birds, um, that's also a way to increase, you know, kind of risk of, of disease transmission. Where it gets difficult is like, you know, then you say, okay, I've got one bird that looks sick or one bird that's sick. Um, you know, is it appropriate then to treat my flock of backyard birds? And in that perspective, if I have one bird that I'm, I'm particularly worried about, um, and I'm going to start, you know, talking to my veterinarian about using uh, piperazine and water, for example. Um, in that situation, then in my mind, it is, is completely appropriate to treat the entire flock. And I think that's where um, people also get a little confused. Um, when we treat um, poultry, we really do treat them as a flock, in part because they're exposed to all the same uh, risks. So if we have one sick bird, it is very unlikely um, that the rest of the birds are going to be okay. Um, maybe they won't show the same exact clinical signs, but um, in that scenario, I think it's completely appropriate to consider treating the whole flock while following um, you know, the FARAD or your, your veterinarian's recommendations on withdrawal periods um, and things like that. So that's an interesting kind of, um, I guess, subtlety that I think owners should also consider. If you treat one bird um, and you get a script for piperacine for that one bird, first of all, it's very challenging to, to treat one bird. You have to put that one bird in a sick pen. Um, that's challenging. Birds don't typically like being by themselves. So... Um, Big picture, I think it's 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 more appropriate and easier and and probably more appropriate um, to treat the entire flock at that point. So other worm other um, worms to consider are capillary worms. Um, so um, capillary worms are kind of almost like hair-like worms in the crop and upper intestines, um, and um, they can cause um, hemorrhage or bleeding. Um, around um, in the mouth um, that you can sometimes see in the, what we call the commissure of the, of the beak. That's basically just where the upper and lower beak kind of meet. Um, they can also cause weight loss and, and droopiness. Um, and they're found, like I said, in the crop or the esophagus. Um, the eggs can move down into the intestine and they can cause a, a kind of a, a thickening of the uh, crop tissue. Um, and again, you know, for the most part, they don't cause a lot of mortality, but um, if you have a severe infestation of them, it can cause um, some type of, uh, of low level of mortality in your flock. Um, there are treatments um, for capillary worms. So for roundworms, for example, the more common treatments are the piperazines and the fenbendazoles um, that, that, that should be considered. And for capillary worms, typically fenbendazole. That being said, you know, when people say, well, they're going to deworm, uh, unfortunately, there is no magic dewormer that's going to cover all the different types of worms that you're that you're worried about. Um, so, you know, then you have to ask that question: Well, am I am I just worming based upon, you know, what am I trying to control here? So, it's it's really important to be a little more specific about that. Um, so, the next uh, worm are the cecal worms. Um, so, the cecal are these little blind sacs that are kind of in the uh, uh, southern part of your intestine, uh, if you will. Uh, they're real short worms, um, and they're typically associated with unthriftiness uh, and some weakness and, and, and weight loss. 
Zika worms by themselves are, are not the worst thing in the world. Um, they're not really considered a major threat, but they are a carrier uh, for the agent that causes blackhead disease, um, or what we call histaminiasis. Um, so histaminiasis, blackhead, can affect chickens, but, but not too often. Um, they're primarily associated with uh, mortality in turkeys. Um, so there is this kind of dogma that turkeys should not be raised in the same environment as chickens, since chickens may be carriers of uh, this relatively common sequel worm. So if your chickens have the sequel worm and you have turkeys, um, your chickens will be typically fine, um, but your turkeys can be exposed to blackhead, and blackhead is a, is a, is a, a fatal disease. So this is one of those things, like I'll talk to a lot of producers, um, especially kind of in the pasture, poultry, and free-range world, and they will have chickens and turkeys raised together. And it's really interesting when I talk to them, um, it's, it's almost uh, like this anecdotal, obviously, but almost all of them are like, we've never had blackhead. We've done this for years. Um, so it's certainly possible, and, and what I always tell people, especially as an epidemiologist, there are no guarantees. So, you know, obviously... Um, anecdotally, if things are working great, that's good, um, but, but you're increasing the risk of uh, exposure um, and mortality. And unfortunately with disease, especially turkeys on the commercial world, turkeys are so seasonal that at one point, I'm, I'm sure you're going to get a hit uh, from mortality. And I was talking to a, a producer um, just recently, and uh, she was basically expressing that, that exact scenario where they, they were fine for years, and then all of a sudden uh, they had blackhead, and that, that wiped out 30% of their turkeys. Um, so it does happen, and it, it's something that you're kind of aware See, of. That's, that's, that's a great example to, you know, before it happened, she may have fall, fallen into that trap of, Oh, we've done this for years, and we've never had a problem. And you know, like mm -hmm. like Dr. McRae says, well, hey, tomorrow's another day. And um, so she may have been been falling into that. You know, oh, we we we've never had a problem, and then boom, now they do, and they've lost thirty percent of their flock. Before I forget, let me ask two questions. I think is relevant. Um, number one. We've talked about putting medications in their water. You did a great article for us in Chicken Whisperer magazine maybe a couple of years ago uh, about the importance of water. And I think in that article you had talked about whenever we're delivering meds through the watering system of our flock, we want to make sure we use unchlorinated water. That still applies for the wormers? Um, not so much for the wormers as, 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 as vaccines. Um, but um, it's important to work with, I would say it's important to work with your vet. I would say in general, it's always nice to, to buffer your water. So um, milk powder is, is really good. Um, and to use unchlorinated water when you're giving medications is probably a good thing in general. Um, the back of the bottle will kind of tell you um, what you should use and not use. It's really important to, to pay attention to that, that specific. And I, I've noticed when I've worked with producers in the past, especially on vaccines, the smaller producers kind of seem to forget that or, or weren't aware of that. Mm -hmm. And as I tell people, mm -hmm. it's really easy to give vaccines. It's really hard to give them effectively. So um, ah, what mm -hmm. happens a lot of the time, not to go off into that kind of um, direction, right. but it's important, <laughs> especially because we're dealing with this Newcastle disease outbreak in Southern California, it's important to realize that um, – um, you know, vaccines are, they have cold chains that they need to, that, that need to be maintained. Um, so what happens, a lot of people reconstitute the vaccine and then it's hot outside 
and then they get distracted, and then, you know, a couple hours later when the vaccine's at room temperature, they finally finish vaccinating things. So it, it can be a real challenge um, mm-hmm. to, uh, to address, not to go off in that tangent okay. right now. Um, the other the other point the other yeah. point I wanted to make too the, the water one was number one I wanted to issue and then the other one yeah. was so I can see a perfect storm here where um, you talked earlier about how that internal parasite doesn't want to kill the host I mean that that's how they're surviving in that host why would they want to kill the host that's their home that's where they're getting their nutrition and 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 their uh, you know food from basically. And mm-hmm. so that's the last thing they want. So I can perfect, I can see, because I've been doing this so long, someone saying, um, well, um, then that means if that's happening, I'm going to put it this way for our listeners too. Um, and I've heard, I've had the scientists do this. You know, the host talks, the, the parasite talks to the host, hey, you let me stay here, you let me live here, I won't cause you any problems. Uh, you know, we'll just go along our merry way and I'll hang out here, you let me hang out here, and everything will be hunky-dory, um, to paint that picture for folks. But um, somebody may, and I can see this happening, say, well, my birds are immune um, to, to this. because they, and, and I can see it happening. It's just plastered in my brain right now because, oh, you know, that happens because because my birds are immune to roundworms. That's why I don't have them. I've got, they, they eat healthy and they're all natural. I give them, you know, free range. But So that's why my, my bird. But that has nothing to do. The fact that there's a relationship between the internal parasite and the bird itself, you know, and, and, it's every, and they're, they're living, I guess, a happy-go-lucky together, by no stretch of the imagination means that bird or that flock is immune to internal parasites. <laughs> Correct, yeah. So, so again, I, I, I guess I would, um, you know, there are some birds, and, and there's obviously um, genetic diversity, which is great. So there's um, um, a species of uh, chicken, um, uh, the Fayumi breed, and the Fayumi breeds are notorious uh, in a good way uh, for some of their disease resistance characteristics. Um, so there is some interesting research on, on um, you know, maybe Fayumi's being a little more resistant to coccidia, for example, which is a protozoa parasite, which we'll maybe talk about in a little. Um, but it's not a, a zero or one, unfortunately, in biology. It's kind of a spectrum. So even if I give a Fayumi, you know, if I read some article that Fayumi's are, you know, uh, resistant to protozoa parasites, it's, it's typically going to be at a certain level. So I, I would be willing to bet that if I gave the Fayumi a, a high worm burden of, you know, whatever mm-hmm. uh, parasite, I could get them sick. Um, maybe they're a little more resistant at lower levels, um, but, but it's, it's usually a continuum. It's not like this uh, yes or no type thing. And same thing with, with most diseases. Okay. You're never going to find, unfortunately, a, um, at this point, a, a strain of chicken that are resistant to avian influenza or, or, or Newcastle or whatever it be. Um, but it's a good it's a good point um, that, that or merits uh, because I, yeah, I or again, yeah, absolutely I saw yesterday I saw yesterday I've got to copy it I've got to send it to you about again this breeder that's claiming out there and I just saw it again yesterday that his flock is is has resistance to merics or their he breeds chicks and chickens and people are believing mm-hmm. them that they are they are um, immune to merics disease yeah, I got I've I gotta heard that, that to you just so you can use it. And I've heard that same argument, maybe from the, the same um, the same breeder, but but the reality is okay. obviously there are virulent virulent forms of Merrick's disease. So the idea that you're just um, resistant to, to Merrick's disease, you know, you, as, a, as a researcher, you want to be like, okay, what types are we referring to here? Because um, there are multiple types of Merrick's, and, and in California, for example, we have some very virulent forms of it. 
Um, so in a controlled research setting, it would be really interesting um, yeah. to see, you know, what, 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 how, how that would actually play out and what the literature, um, how those experiments would actually, you know, what they would show and not show. Um, Great, thanks. So, yeah. Um, so kind of just moving down the list, the next one I would move to are, are, are gape worms. Uh, they're less common, um, but they can be found um, in, the, in the trachea and the, what we call the respiratory tree, just kind of south of the trachea, basically. Um, they're also called fork worms, uh, forked worms. Um, it's kind of interesting because the, the male and the female um, are always locked in copulation, and they form kind of a Y. Um, so uh, the reason they're called gape worms uh, is because um, when the birds are, are heavily infected, it causes the birds to kind of gasp uh, or gape. Um, and uh, the worms can grow about one inch long, and they can block that trachea. Um, so it's really a problem in chicks because uh, if chicks are infected with them, obviously their trachea, the diameter of their trachea is much narrower than um, um, an adult um, bird's um, um, trachea. So those are, or those are, that's another one to kind of, uh, kind of consider. Um, Big misconception. Maybe it's not a misconception. I'm going to ask because I, I, I saw it again this week. Um, someone posted a picture of their chicken on the roost, and they were kind of gasping, opening their beak, closing it, opening it, you know, like they're, they're taking a deep breath or something, kind of, a, and, and everybody was like, gape worm. And then many people said, oh, it's a gape worm. You need to uh, flush their crop out. And so this is in the trachea, not necessarily. Yeah. The, can they found and not necessarily in the crop. That was some misinformation, I think, that was on that post. Yes, exactly. So it is the trachea, and you don't want to flush the trachea out because obviously that could, that could also <laughs> kill, yep. kill the birds. Aspirate um, the bird, yep, aspirate them, yep. Yep, yep, exactly, exactly. So okay. um, one thing I, I really wanted to mention again is that, um, you know, backyard poultry, there are challenges, obviously, and um, biosecurity is, is, is a significant challenge because we're raising our birds on the ground. Um, we're exposing them to all kinds of wildlife. Um, so we can't be perfect, obviously. Um, and even the commercial folks that have all the, you know, indoor disease prevention um, kind of um, tools that they're kind of beck and call, you know, they have, they have challenges with this also. Um, but I, I do want to point out that um, it's important that we try to, and I don't think I said this at the beginning when I was talking about biosecurity, the biggest issue I see with most people's backyard coops is that the, the biosecurity part, they're really good at the fencing, um, but they don't have any fencing over the top of the coop. Um, and I know this is a challenge, um, but the more that you're going to interact with uh, wild birds, um, and insects, insects are obviously harder to control, but let's just focus on wild birds. Uh, wild birds um, obviously have a lot of the same parasites, and if wild birds are interacting um, with our poultry, um, that's a way for, the, the, for our poultry to be exposed to all kinds of diseases, especially um, fecal material from the wild birds, and that fecal material can carry all kinds of eggs in them. Um, Insects, the same kind of issues, um, except insects can also be what we call mechanical transmitters of disease. So they like poop, obviously. They like eating off of fecal material. They like breeding um, in that material. Um, so when they get that material on their wings, um, and then they can, um, um, uh, they can transmit it then to our, our chickens um, by um, mechanical transmission from one location to another, and then our chickens end up eating that fecal material. So 
as best as we can. I think the the, the biggest kind of challenge I see uh, for backyard producers in general, from you know the backyards that I've gone to, is that they don't typically have any kind of roofing material. Um, and I'm a big fan of um, hardware cloth um, as opposed to chicken wire. Um, because hardware cloth, the um, the aperture, that the space um, between the the gaps in that in that type of fencing, uh, you can get it down to like a quarter inch. Um, so that's really and it's really strong um, material as opposed to chicken wire, which um, all kinds of things can move in and out of chicken wire. So just something to think I about. Folks, I tell folks all the time, you know, a house cat with an attitude can get through chicken wire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's yeah. The chicken wire yeah, is really not. Uh, I think to sum it up, a lot of times we'll we'll tell folks that, you know, chicken wire will do a good job keeping your chickens in, but that's about all it's good for. It's not going to keep most predators out, Um, and I use that kind of house cat with an attitude to give them an example. So, uh, yeah, hardware cloth is definitely where it's at. And then before I talk about coccidia, um, the the other thing I wanted to really mention was – so, you know, let's say you are concerned about your birds and you're like, well, I, I think they have, um, you know, a worm burden, but I'm not sure. So this is where your veterinarian can be really helpful. So you can bring your chicken to your veterinarian, your veterinarian can come to you and they can do, um, they can take a, a, a fecal sample um, or some, a lot of times they'll tell you to a sample that's relatively fresh. You'll bring it into the hospital and they'll do what's called a fecal float. Um, so this is a nice way to kind of start understanding what your, um, you know, egg burden is, worm burden is, um, and they can, they can kind of quantify how many eggs are in the feces and make a recommendation based upon that. Um, so that's a great way to, to kind of start understanding what your, you know, bird's worm burden is. Um, the one thing I would say is that, so we don't do that too much in the commercial world, um, because in the commercial world, we can necropsy a bird and really look at the intestines and try to understand, um, are there any kind of disease processes going on? There, is, there, is there any hemorrhage um, of the intestinal uh, tissue that, that, that is um, you know, severe enough to where we either need to treat or we need to um, uh, consider other options? Um, so I would say um, if people are concerned enough to, to want to treat kind of blindly, I would say before that, um, try to work with your veterinarian uh, to see if they can do a fecal float. Um, usually it's just you taking some fresh fecal material to your vet. They'll do the fecal float, and, and you can get kind of an idea from there. Um, or the other option is if you're really concerned, um, then you can work with a diagnostic lab, um, and they can do a necropsy to kind of see what's actually going on in your bird um, in, with the goal of protecting the rest of your flock. So those are things to kind of consider. I'll add to, I'll add to that as well because uh, I've been running into this for, for years just to let maybe there's some new chicken keepers out there listening. And, you know, don't be surprised if you just happen to stop by your vet that takes care of your dog or cat and say, hey, I've got chickens. And, and all of a sudden they seem to be a little standoffish and say, look, we don't treat exotics. And, and, and it's like this is a chicken. That's not like it's a $4,000 McCall. Uh, but, but don't be surprised if they get a little standoffish about that. I don't, I don't treat chickens or I don't treat exotics or farm animals. <clears throat> but I think that I've had folks have success with just kind of almost not educating them, but kind of explaining. <laughs> I, I can see myself doing this. Look, I just spent over a thousand bucks for you to treat my dog. I've already spent three hundred and forty dollars for you to treat my cat. It's the same doggone test, bro. 
just can I bring you some poop in tomorrow for my chickens and you tell me what they got. Charge me what you charge me for my dog. What, 25 bucks for this test? But can you know? And you may have to take it that one step further to, to and just you know, kind of say, look, uh, you know I care about my animals. I've given you a boatload of money. Can, if I just bring you some chicken poop, can you tell me what kind of worms they got? You know, and, and then they may come at that point be like, so we've heard success stories about that, but don't you may not want to just, Take, not, I'm not saying don't take no for an answer, but they, it just may be out of their realm initially. It's like oh, chickens, what? Oh no, 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 no. That's that's definitely not me. That doesn't. Uh, and then you may have to kind of go down that explanation road, and then say it's you know it's the same test. You know, please, I'll pay you the whatever it is, 25 bucks. Just tell me what kind, and then I can you know maybe whatever. So uh, I wanted to share that with our audience as well. <laughs> we run into that yeah. several times. Yeah, no, that 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 that's a real challenge trying to find, you know, the and, and we're trying to address that I think in general in the veterinary profession just because of how many people are 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 really getting interested in backyard poultry. The one thing I would say about the fecal floats um is that just because you don't see anything in there doesn't mean um that your uh chicken is negative. So unfortunately, um when it comes to a lot of different parasites, um the chickens will intermittently shed those parasites. Um, so, like salmonella. Like salmonella, exactly. So if you were going to do... I learned something uh, again. That's awesome. I learned <laughs> something today, too, because I've always said that about salmonella. They may shed it today and not tomorrow, and tomorrow's the day you're doing the test, so you may get that negative. I did not know that about the uh, uh, different types of parasites, so very mm-hmm. interesting. So, yeah, oh, they, they came back negative. They don't, they don't have any parasites. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. Cool. So that that's that's a, and that's why we take these environmental drag swabs, which we can talk about another time, because now we're we're getting fecal material from your entire flock over the last you know several weeks or months, and that that's usually typically considered a more sensitive method of, of identifying salmonella, which is pretty uncommon in backyard poultry as, as far as we know. Um, anyway, so the the last thing I wanted to talk about was uh, coccidia, um, and this is probably the in some ways the most common um, uh, parasite. It's a it's a protozoal parasite. Um, and we don't, um, this is where I'm going to kind of reverse some of the stuff I previously said. So the coccidia is very ubiquitous, um, does cause mortality, certain uh, species of it. Um, and because it's so ubiquitous and it does cause mortality, the recommendation, and I agree with this, is to, um, use medicated feed in, in the chick starter. Uh So when you buy, because um, this is usually when, when birds um, would succumb to these protozoal parasites is when they're younger, three to, six of eight, three to six weeks of age typically. They can get coccidia later on, but it's not typically as bad. It won't cause as much mortality um, and morbidity, i.e. sickness. Um, so what's medicated feed? And I think we've talked about this a little before, but just to reiterate, um, the medicated feed is uh, starter feed. So it's 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 what we give our our chicks usually between you know zero and six weeks of age or so, and it has among it's got corn and soy in it and calcium and phosphorus and all those type of things in it, um, but the the next thing it has is it has that what we call a coccidia stat, um, and that's just a fancy way of saying it it it, it is it, it it helps keep coccidia static it doesn't allow them to go um, proliferate basically. Um, and there's all kinds of different coccidia stats. And the one thing I want to reiterate is that um, we're not really concerned about resistance issues because we don't get exposed to the same type of protozoal parasites um, in humans, and uh, we don't take any of the medications um, that, um, um, that are used to control coccidia um, in humans also. 
So again, because it's so ubiquitous, because it causes so much mortality, um, the medicated feeds are, are a really good choice to consider. The only time you wouldn't consider it, in my mind, is um, if you are producing organic eggs, um, because that's, that would be considered not organic at that point. Um, so it's really important to obviously follow those rules if that's what you're, if you're a commercial producer. Um, but if you're not and you want healthy birds and healthy eggs and all those type of things, um, coccidiostats, uh, and medicated feeds are, are really important um, uh, to consider. And just like we talked about with um, the other uh, parasites, the worms that we talked about that are carrying uh, typically all these eggs, uh, that are nematodes and cestodes and capillary worms and roundworms, these protozoal parasites, we can really control them and mitigate them using good husbandry and good biosecurity. So it's really important, again, to keep our litter moisture uh, relatively low. So, we, again, we want it to be friable. We want it to be where it kind of, when we put it in our hand, I can't ball it into a, like a snowball or like a, like a mud pie or anything like that. Um, and we don't want it to be real dusty either. Um, so if we can keep our, our litter material um, not too muddy, not too, uh, not too moist, um, then that's a great way of kind of controlling the amount of coccidia in our environment. And uh, as we all know, birds eat off the ground, um, and that's the way they usually typically get exposed to um, protozoal parasites like coccidia and uh, all the other different types of uh, worms and nematodes and uh, capillary worms and things like that. Um, so when we look at coccidia, it's, it's usually a younger birds. So even with a coccidia stat, you're actually not killing the coccidia. You're just uh, keeping the, the level of coccidia um, at, at, its, at a static level. And that's actually, you know, when you think about, um, to I think some of your uh, people that you've, that you've interacted with, having uh, low amounts of coccidia that the birds are exposed to is actually a good thing. Um, that builds up their immune system. Uh, the challenge is when you get a lot of uh, any type of infectious um, disease. Now you're dealing with, you know, kind of these infectious doses that can cause disease. So if we can actually get low levels, that's actually better than no levels because now we're getting a nice, robust immune response um, and, and has that, uh, those birds now have that ability to protect themselves against that um, type of coccidia. So um, in chickens, they're Real typically... Quick. Real quick. Oh, sorry. Yeah. You you, no, that's what you had said earlier about maybe one reason why we wouldn't want to give the medicated feed with the, uh, say, the amprolium in it uh, for for this. And you went down and said, well, you know, if you want to, if you uh, want to make maintain that organic producer label or whatever, um, tell me if this is fact or fiction because we've heard also that you do not want to give medicated feed, medicated chick starter if the chicks have been vaccinated for coccidiosis at the hatchery before you got them. Is that good, bad, ugly, myth, truth? Regarding? No, we hear true. that a lot. But... Yep, okay. no, that's 100% that's, okay. that's, uh, sure. true. And, and the logic is, and it's not logic, I mean, it's just the, the argument, and, I mean, the, the reason you don't want to do that is because when, you get, when, they, when they get this Coxivac vaccine, which is typically only done in, in broilers, not so much in, in backyard birds, as far as I know, mm -hmm. um, you're giving them actually live coxie um, that are kind of weaker strains that don't really cause too much disease. Um, so if you gave them a coccidia stat, and then you're kind of being counterproductive, the, 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 the medication now is, is basically killing the vaccine. Um, so the commercial folks will kind of rotate between the two. 
Um, you know, they'll raise maybe one flock uh, using the Coxivac, and that can kind of seed the environment with these kind of um, weaker strains of Coccidia. Um, and then over time, the other populations might come back, and 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 the producers are pretty good at figuring out, hey, you know what, we're 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 not um, we're having more coxie. So at that point, then they'll come in with medicated feed on their next flock. Um, so there there is kind of a um, uh, different types of uh, rotational kind of approaches, uh, even though they're cleaning out in between each flock. Um, you know, it, it can be slightly challenging, and, and the producers get pretty good at kind of figuring out, you know, let's say they do two flocks that are vaccinated and then one that's treated and then two flocks that are vaccinated with whatever their system is to kind of um, address that. But absolutely, you, you wouldn't want to do both at the same time for, for the reason that the, the Coccidia stat would be killing the, the vaccine strains. Okay, um, great. great. Yeah, good question. Um, and then, you know, the other thing that you really want to think about with, with coccidia is, is there are, you know, these seven species of, of, of coccidia, um, and um, there is kind of this randomness. Um, the species are very specific, uh, so it's really interesting if you're, you know, really good pathologist, they'll open up the chicken um, and they'll look at the gut, and depending on what part of the gut is uh, hemorrhagic, is bleeding, or affected with coccyx, you can really uh, identify what, what species of imeria or, or coccidia you're dealing with. Um, so that's kind of nice to know, and, and, and I think um, when you do have uh, sick birds, the advantage of submitting them uh, to a diagnostic lab is that you, can, you really find out what you're dealing with. Um, and sometimes it's stuff that you, um, it's multiple things very often, especially when you have sick and dead birds. Um, and it's really important to do that so you can figure out um, what's the best treatment. So the pathologist will open up the bird for coccidia, for example, and they'll say what we call run the gut. So they'll take a little pair of, of tweezers or, or scissors um, and they'll open up the intestine and then they'll take a scraping of that intestinal lining where they think that there is a lot of coccidia. Um, and they'll put that under a microscope, um, and then they can use that to identify um, what types of coccidia are there. The other thing to do, and I, I have not done this, but I know some people, um, especially that are, um, you know, don't want to uh, have their bird euthanized, is you can take some of the litter samples, some of the fecal samples, to kind of look for uh, at least some of the counts of the different types of oocysts or, or uh, protozoa um, um, that are in the environment and and you might be able to use that to try to understand you know how much coccidia is in your um, litter material for example um, again from a control perspective you know having good litter management is so essential um, so uh, having that is a is, is something to consider um, the over-the-counter treatments are, are pretty effective so amprolium you mentioned um, that's again goes in drinking water typically for three to five days some of the sulfonamides are also really good uh, for typically you know, about three to five or two to four days. Um, but again, the, the most important thing is kind of this uh, diligent management um, and uh, really focusing on um, biosecurity and husbandry and um, making sure that uh, watering systems are clean, feeding, feeders are clean, um, you know, that, that, and, and, and inclusion of those anti-coccidials. I know, I know people sometimes get a little... Um, afraid of medications sometimes, um, and I think we kind of go both ways. There's some people that are very aggressive and some people that are, don't want to use them ever. Um, you know, for our chicks' overall health, um, and, and it prevents them from getting other diseases if we can control coccidia. So if you can control coccidia and you can get your birds to five or six uh, eight uh, weeks of age, 
Um, they are so hardy after that, um, very rarely do you need to do kind of any other things after that for, for a long period of time. Um, so that's about all I have awesome. on uh, internal parasites. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find out here in just a second. I'm going to go to a very short commercial break and then go ahead and open it up because we did give the phone number out on our Facebook page and on our Facebook Live. Again, we've experienced this for a decade. Some people are, are radio shy, so they won't. They may, I'll go see during the commercial if anybody posted any questions. I think we, you did a really good job of covering probably most of the questions they had, but we'll see if we have any call-ins as well. So we'll do a quick commercial break and come back and see if anybody calls in. So if you have any questions uh, for Dr. Pateski, and again, our topic today, internal parasites slash worms we talk about, uh, or even the coccidiosis, since he uh, had mentioned that a little bit. Go ahead and give us a call, 347-637-3237. 347-637-3237. I'll go to commercial, and then uh, we'll see if we have any brave folks that want to uh, come on the show and ask a couple of questions. We'll be back right after this short, short break. When you need an incubator, think Brincy. The incubation specialists. Brincy has been a world leading manufacturer of quality incubators for almost 40 years. They manufacture incubators that hold anywhere from 7 to 380 eggs with high quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity controls and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and receive 10% off your entire order. Order your new incubator today at Brincy.com. That's B-R-I-N-S-E-A.com. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. The Yard Bird Chicken Plucker takes the hassle out of backyard chicken processing by fully defeathering birds in less than 15 seconds. The compact size makes it easy to transport and easy to store. The one and a half horsepower motor and 20 inch stainless steel tub can handle two eight pound birds at the same time. There are no belts or pulleys to wear out and no adjustments necessary which makes it virtually maintenance free. For more information about how you can own this must-have chicken processing product, visit YardbirdChickenPluckers.com today. That's YardbirdChickenPluckers.com. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer here to tell you that if you have backyard poultry, nothing is more important than making sure your feathered friends are safe from infectious poultry diseases. Learn the simple steps to keep your birds healthy by visiting this website, healthybirds.aphis.usda.gov. That's healthybirds.aphis.usda.gov. A message from the USDA. Chickenitis holding you back from adding waterfowl to your flock? Do you suffer from a lack of duck? No worries. Metzer Farms has the remedy for you. With over 30 different breeds of ducks and geese, you will surely find your cure. 
a family-owned and operated company spanning three generations, Metzer Farms is the go-to source for information and day-old birds. They hatch year-round, shipping to all 50 states, plus export. MPIP salmonella monitored and florum-free. Metzer Farms' priority is supplying you happy and healthy day-old birds from our family to yours. Visit us at MetzerFarms.com, see our farm on Instagram at Metzer Farms, and read some of the many great reviews from happy customers on our Facebook page. Alrighty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whiskey by our good friends, Calm Bob Feeds. And our guest today was Dr. Maurice Pateski, and we talked about internal parasites, uh, worms, and of course, um, coccidiosis. Uh, so um, we have no brave folks, uh, Dr. Pateski, that wanted to come on and ask questions. Uh, to me, that tells me you did a great job uh, <laughs> covering everything that they may have had questions about. So thank you very much for coming on today. And like I said, well, I don't think we've covered this in 2018 yet, but it is one of the top three to five things that we see posted on these blogs and forums about, uh, and it does carry a lot of misinformation out there. So I thought it was a, a good value to, to cover it today. So thank you so much for coming on and doing that for us. <clears throat> oh, hang on. There we go. Oh, sorry. Um, thanks for having me, and I, I really uh, love how you're doing next week's show with Dr. Tell because I think that's a, a really good um, way to dovetail both topics because I think some people are, are um, confused, including myself a lot of the time, on, on when you should use, uh, when you use these medications, um, you know, what's the most appropriate way to use them because uh, there's just different recommendations. So I, I think Dr. Tell can offer a lot of insights on that. I'm glad you're having her as a guest. That'll be great. We also are going to have uh, Krista Martin, um, and um, who is also with uh, the Farad program, and um, and she'll be on and uh, veterinary pharmacists. So uh, that that's going to be. I'm looking forward to that show too, and we'll have. Uh, I'll gather more questions for them as well about some of the more common things that we see. Like I said earlier about uh, putting now Thailand 50 into the water because they've eliminated all the water soluble antibiotics without it going to a vet and, and having that oversight. So we'll have a lot of questions we'll have that we'll cover uh, next Thursday. So thanks for that. And I uh, hope you get to feeling better. <laughs> I'm, I'm you feeling, too. I feel your pain. <laughs> I feel your pain. <laughs> and uh, we will talk to you soon. Have a great weekend, Doc. Okay, you too. Good talking to you, Andy. Thank you. You too. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Hey, I want to uh, let you know that I'll be going and doing a Facebook Live here Based on the weather outside, we've got some storms moving in, maybe some pop-ups, and so uh, if it's not a torrential downpour, we'll be doing a Facebook Live here probably in the next 30 minutes or so. I've got to get outside to the um, the broiler um, program that we're doing here and sharing really from hatch to processing, raising 11 Cornish cross broiler meat birds so people can see uh, what really goes into that and if they feel like they can do that in their backyard. We only have 11. We did that on purpose. So a uh, smaller coop into a backyard in a backyard setting so people can see, hey, you know what? I've been doing pet chickens for a while. I, I like providing for my family regarding the eggs. Of course, these are pet chickens. They're all named. There are layers. But after doing this for a while, though at one time I thought I could never do this. Uh, but now a lot of people are showing interest in raising some backyard meat birds to, again, provide for 
their family and showing kids, again, education-wise, where their food comes from and what it takes. So we said, you know what? we got to do this. So this coming up Monday is, is it week six, Jim, or week five coming up? I think this is week six coming up this Monday. I think week five was this past Monday, and week six will be this coming Monday. My goal is really somewhere between seven and eight weeks to have the birds at six to six and a half pounds, and that is our goal weight for processing. And so um, so uh, if you're there and you're on Facebook and you see a little pop-up, come join us. We'll be down in the coop. We'll be weighing the birds today, showing how big they are, seeing how much more they feathered out, and maybe just taking a minute to observe them and look at them because the last time, one of the last times we did this, well, we, we saw their natural behavior, even though they're meat birds, and they sometimes get a bad rap about heart attacks and just being lazy and just sitting there and, you know, that type of thing, uh, foot, pad, foot pad issues. Um, in the smaller, again, backyard setting, 11 birds. Uh, we haven't got to that point yet. We may before we go to slaughter, <laughs> but um, well, I got great footage of them, you know, chasing down a little uh, cricket, running around, and all the other ones were chasing it. Great photos of them doing dust baths uh, and really exhibiting all that behavior that your your Rhode Island Reds and your Barred Rocks do in, in the backyard. And so um, I'm glad I was able to share that with folks. But, yeah, join me on Facebook Live here in the next uh, 30 minutes to an hour. And uh, we'll be going down to the meat bird coop and weighing them birds and uh, showing you where they're at at this point coming up on week six. I think Monday will be week six. So thank you very much for tuning in today to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer brought to you by Combot Feeds. By the way, I want to add this in. Um, the meat birds that we're doing our experimentation with and our, our display is, of course, from Cackle Hatchery. Visit them online, cacklehatchery.com. So thanks so much. We'll see you next week, Thursday. 2 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time with Dr. Lisa Tell. And uh, Dr. It is Krista, hang on one just a second. Sorry about that, Krista Martin, um, who is with the uh, ferret. And uh, they're basically veterinary um, <coughs> pharmacists and veterinarians to uh, share all of their awesome information uh, to, to really clarify a lot of stuff, again, that we see on these blogs and forums that is just bad information. So thank you very much for tuning in. We'll see you next week right here on Blog Talk Radio.